You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! And we made this new record, and... I just want everybody to hear it. It's called the Apocalypse Blues Revival. And I, I'm the Apocalypse. I was named the Apocalypse. I tattooed it on my hand in uh, 2001. And at the time, I was a raging alcoholic in the best of ways. And didn't <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Hunter S. Thompson. And that's all. And I did lots of drugs. And I was in this punk band, amen. And we were touring the world with Slipknot. And even Slipknot, who really know how to party like Pantera knew how to party. They did. They were the fucking real and they destroyed shit. And, but when they'd see me coming, when Joey Jorison see me coming with that look in my eye, he'd be like, all right, everybody watch out. Here comes the apocalypse. Right. And so it's stuck. All right. So I'm just going to tell you guys that sometimes when you like take a lot of hallucinogenic drugs, you just start like whole conversations and you don't realize that there's any like premise or like order or time to which you're supposed to like introduce people or talk time, about time things. is a construct and we and we, appro- we definitely prove that <laughs> so here on 2020 which is the name of our show which i still haven't introduced yet i'm benny goodman as our guest shannon larkin asked me sometime i don't know if his last episode <laughs> halfway through the episode yeah, halfway yeah. Through what's, your name? <laughs> what's your name again boston because i'm wearing a boston guitar shirt because you know i like that store so you know whatever um, uh, but we're here with Shannon Larkin, the drummer from Godsmack, but also kind of like a transcendental philosophical, um, uh, Theodore Roosevelt esque. <laughs> so philosophical that we, we streamlined right into episode two and we didn't even introduce him because it just kept going. So Shannon 2020, the three of us into not starting with our some own knowledge episode. bombs though. With and so turtles. many knowledge bombs. Yeah. Knowledge bombs and turtles and 33,000 gallons of water, bro. <laughs> Lots of nuggets yeah. in this one. Some vanilla ice mixed in there somewhere, too. Oh, dude, with zip lines, it's fucking bananas. <laughs> in a helicopter, I'm pretty it's sure. It's just in all directions. There's no way to summarize this episode. You just have or to Or Shannon's line of thought. Like, he's literally the only person that derails conversations as much as I do, which is why I think we're kindred <laughs> spirits. I love you, Shannon. Like, literally, you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> so here's part two with Godsmack drummer Shannon Larkin. Start coming on, man. I'll just start coming on, being the fourth guy on the show. <laughs> dude, we love Any, it anytime, man. We we really, honestly, dude, we we have an open invitation to a bunch of different people. We have Satchel from Steel Panther, Polly Calafiore from like Big Brother and MTV. Like they all come on and. I want to come on with David Bruzo. I've never even met yeah, him. Yeah, we should it's do it. Abruzzese, just so you know. I, I ha- it took me twenty five years. He's like, dude, my name's Abruzzese. I'm like, oh, okay. So, I, I didn't know how to pronounce it properly either. It's hard to. T- yeah, he's in a he's in a hidden layer in a different in a ver- he's he's over eight thousand miles away from here. I'll give you that hint. 
So like, <laughs> and he actually ran away from the world because of all of what was going on. And we kind of got him to come out of his shell on this show. So like, that's why I was asking about it because I'm sure he's gonna hear about it vicariously and then call me and be like, wait, what did you say? And it's gonna be hilarious. <laughs> Tell, how do you pronounce it again? A Bruze? David Abruzis. It's uh, Indian. Ab Abruzis. 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 <laughs> and 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 he uh he will definitely go into the sweat lodge and trip and trip out with you if you'd like. But if you'd like to watch football, feel free. Tell us what time and Corey will send out another link and that's perfectly okay with us. Yeah. Um I don't know how what time the game's what time the football game's over, but I would say if it's six thirty now, let me look at what, what quarter we're in. It's eight o'clock. <laughs> but that's fine I'm pretty sure we're on the same time zone This, this episode's hilarious dude I even want to start it with him like The way it starts like with it Just slightly before is hilarious Alright This game starts at 8 So I can How about we just I'll stay on here It's 8 o'clock right now bro I know That's what I'm saying I, I thought it was I, I'm, I'm My time I'm in a different World. No, that's cool, man. You're, you're like, at the Fillmore behind sure, you. We're gonna I'm pretty get into sure that. we're all on Eastern time. But and if you want to pay attention to the football game while you're talking to us, like that's hilarious. I don't. But what I'm going to do is, if I can, like, say a half hour into this next hour. Bounce and, out. And that, because here's what's going to happen. The game can come on at 8. It's going to be on to 11, probably. I don't want to. And then I'll probably be, I don't know, flying on Cambodian mushrooms by the time the end of the game happens. <laughs> Well, okay, so let's just continue. Benny Goodman, I got mushrooms from Cambodia. I got mushrooms from Hawaii. I got mushrooms from Costa Rica. I got do you mushrooms. eat them or do you put them like tea? How do you ingest the mushrooms? Oh, you just eat them and, and you know, you just got to have a toothpick handy and maybe, you know, if you're a beer guy, that would. Have you ever taken yeah. them in tea? Can we get uh, back into the show? Well, <laughs> I really have. And I was one of the, I was in my early thirties and I lived in Santa Barbara, California. And my girlfriend at the time had a good friend from Lodi and I went up to this dead party and, you know, I'm a dude that I just never really got the Grateful Dead, you know, and it's not like I hate them or I just. Well, cause you never went down to, to, to Shakedown Street and got the right amount of mushrooms to fucking trip to understand what Terrapin Station's about. I fucking tripped balls on four hits of acid and tried to listen to the dead. <gasps> And oh my god! I went to a dead party, like I said, in my early thirties, and we drank. There was girls dressed up like Raggedy Ann walking around with uh, trip tea. nitrous, trip tea, trip tea, and we were just oh yeah, not even Raggedy Ann. They were dressed like uh, like like uh, Alice in Wonderland, right? And it was a <laughs> yeah. dead party. And I mean, these people, man, they had like a whole wall of like just cassette dead tape dead shows that they taped over the last 20 years and I, they knew everyone oh man you know when he, when they played trucking at the fucking whatever you know it was crazy the, the, the dead dedication of these deadheads it's amazing anyway trip balls there and the fucking whole thing still didn't get the, the music and what how where if i take a hit of acid and listen to say dark side of the moon it's obvious i mean that's well, yeah. it makes so much sense. It's funny you say that because I went and saw Fish in 1997, all right? My friends had, like, really shitty seats, and I had good seats because my friend actually knew Adam Gordon or whatever. And Mike Gordon, Mike Gordon. And um, 
I was sitting down, and during the intermission, we were supposed to take them. I didn't know anything about it. Well, they had taken it before. So my friend's trying to eat my fucking jacket. They're all tripping. I'm not tripping. So I'm like 15 watching them play like, you know, a 25-minute version of Tweezer. I'm like, this is the most boring thing ever. John Fishman's jumping up on his fucking drum kit with a vacuum cleaner. I'm like, I don't get it. (laughs) I don't get it because I didn't take... The drugs. But I'll tell you, this year, I did discover what music you need to listen to. And if you haven't, and I'm sure you have, this is not condescending, but classical music. Like, in particular, Vladimir Horowitz Radio, because he was progressive piano, I realize, (laughs) is the most intense, purest, craziest. Like, if you want to melt your face with shred piano symphonic music that you go, I would never have written this, nor would I have thought of this, nor would I have thought of this meter change. There you go, my friend. Classical. Yeah. Maybe that's how we're going to get people reinterested in classical music. There just slip a little tripping. mushrooms. Yeah, just just get them all completely tripping, and then classical Chopin's music will be great fucking again. Amazing. Tchaikovsky, <laughs> man. Wow. I swear, but I, you know, I again, I. That's the thing about tripping. In my twenties, it was all about partying, you know, and we would trip and go to Lollapalooza or whatever, and be in concerts, man, and go out tripping I see Pearl Jam with David Abruzis I can't imagine it now going out in public in that state but when you're young that's what you do and so but now it's actually a tool uh, for me in a spiritual thing and and music and that's all I think about when I'm tripping it's not a party anymore and it's always uh, a very I have many epiphanies even, you know, and right. I completely, I completely agree with it because there's a lot of people who take it to, you know, obviously party. But for me, I feel like it, there's a, there's a nether world and it's it. And there, everything that happens, like you purge emotions and it's one of those things. Like sometimes it's not even good emotions. You think about something you did wrong when you were seven, but all of a sudden it, it comes back full tilt and you're like, Oh, but I'm supposed to take this job or I'm, I should call this person. And, and a lot of the things that come together for you are like, okay, Two hours of that, I was having a bad time, but the reason I did that was to come to this conclusion. And that's kind of how I feel when I've taken, tr- it's, it's, a, it's a responsibility because emotionally, you don't know if you're going to be in for like enjoying yourself or maybe you need to get something out that like, you know, uh, turns into a, a Godsmack song because Sully's upset. Well, and the next day, you remember, you remember it and it, the, the epiphany was real and you're like, wow. You know, that really happened and, and it really works and it really, you know, it can it can make your life better. You know, if there's you- a glow about it, too. If you like a lot of people that are depressed, like I suffer from anxiety and depression. I feel like if I if I trip just like a, a, a small amount and don't blow my brains out, um, I, I kind of have a glow for the next few days in the sense that like I feel accomplished mentally because it is it takes a lot out of you. Um, you know, but if there's a lot of contemplation going on in your life, it, it's definitely a double edged sword where you could be thinking about something very uh, extensively. But I will tell you that for me, it's been a very positive thing as far as coming to conclusions. Like, you know, maybe I should have Siobhan and Corey on this, this show with me because people might be annoyed if it was just me. You know, <laughs> it appears to be just you at the moment. <laughs> Well, it's us in a trip. We're both hallucinating at the same time. Me and Shannon both have like the the craziness going around us. That's very true. 
No, but Shannon, I wanted to ask you, you're, you're obviously like a super cool guy and like very spiritual and like talented and, you know, enlightened in a lot of ways. And I want to hear, like, I'm curious about the pre-Godsmack era and getting into music and getting into drums. I'm like always interested in people's backgrounds and how they get exposed to music and how they eventually end up in it as a career. So could you maybe tell us some stories about, you know, getting into it, how you got interested? Yeah, I've always liked music and my, my mom and dad were, they didn't play instruments, but they were very music lovers, music loving family. And I remember my dad would be like, you know, this is early, early mid seventies. And he'd be like, we're not watching the boob tube after dinner. We're going downstairs, listen to music. And they'd go downstairs and my mom and dad would dance and me and my sister would laugh and listen to music with my parents. And they turned us on to all kind of an eclectic mix of music. My dad liked the, 50s and 60s doo-wop stuff and Elvis Presley and but he uh he also was the country person that liked the old school country like Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, that kind of stuff so and then my mom was like the rock and roll chick that turned me on to the Creedence Clearance, Creedence Clearwater Revival and Sliding and Family Stone and the uh uh Zeppelin and um oh my god Beatles my mom and and Stones you know and so we would go down and listen to records and it wasn't until I started like hearing songs that I liked on the radio that like call out to me. And I, and my sister had a record player, you know? And so I think it was seven or eight when I asked for a record player and I started begging my parents for these uh, KTEL records they used to sell on TV. I'm sure my age here, but so there was a company called KTEL and you'd see, you know, KTEL presents the top 10 hits of the nation or whatever. And it'd be like, the funky worm by the Ohio players. And they would have calling Dr. Love by kiss. And I'd be like, Oh, I want that record or whatever. And one day my sister came in my room and said to me, you know, your music is crap. <laughs> listen to this record. And she gave me rush hemispheres. Right. And I, so still- you were listening to love roller coaster by uh, the Ohio players. And then all of a sudden you have the professor walk into your room. That's right. And, and she, I I put that record on and I just remember just my world expanding and 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 the drums sank like I loved the drums out of it listen to that drummer but I didn't say I want to be that drummer and so uh I wore that record I still by the way have that record to this day I'm 53 wow. yeah I swear I was uh it was probably 1978 when that came out or something but uh and um, and it has my sister's name written on it because back then, you know, you take the record to the party and you didn't want your record to get stolen. So you wow. Died. And it's on red vinyl. <laughs> it just keeps I, it better. Right? I mean, I always liked that song, La Via Strangionato. I don't know how you fucking pronounce it, but I remember going, why is this bass player sing? Because that was one of the first things I, when I listened to prog music, someone put on Rush and I was like, oh, this is the song for me. I'm like, but there's no singing. Yeah. But that song was the song that turned me on to yeah. Rush. That fucking album blew my goddamn mind. The trees. Now I respect Getty Lee, by the way. I'm sorry. Lee, man, the trees. You know what I mean? It was just, they were geniuses. Anyway, I wore that record out. I don't know how long it took, but I finally went back. I took, went back to my sister and said, what do you, I said, that was right. You were right. My rec- my music is shit. And I don't want any more KTEL records. I love Rush. <laughs> What's next? And she gives me Zeppelin II. Wow. And when I That'll do when it. I got Zeppelin two, my now not only did my world expand, but 
I wanted to drum. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And so that's when, you know, Led Zeppelin too made me ask my, and I, my birthday was coming up and I asked for a drum kit for my birthday on my eighth birthday. And, uh, you know, basically after that, I, I met this guy named Terry Carter that got a guitar uh, on that Christmas and I'd just gotten some cymbals and whatever. And we started a little band and it became Rathchild and, uh, God, 12 years later, we signed to Atlantic Records, but I was with Terry Carter for all those, all my formative years, started playing nightclubs when I was 13. Wow. And uh, have never, <laughs> ever done anything else except play drums for a living, you know? I mean, what, never. What, what, was, what was it about Bonham that, that flipped that switch over Pert? Like, was, it, was it, it was, the backbeat and that, that just groove, or? It was probably the fact that at the time, I enjoyed Led Zeppelin as a band more than Rush. Mm -hmm. They were more mystical to me. Mm -hmm. And I really, 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 really fell in love with Led Zeppelin. And and, and that second, right, that Zeppelin too was the one. And so yeah. that's blues. And now here it is, whatever, 50 or 40 some years later. And I have a blues band, you know, a heavy rock blues band. And it's from that early influence of Zeppelin. I think, and just John Bonham's right foot, it just changed my life, you know. And I think also it could have been also I had a, a very small little drum kit and I'm, right. I, I, I couldn't play Rush on that drum kit. Well, it's, it's funny. It's, it's, it's funny you say that, though, because, um, you know, to listening to you and listening, David Abraziz, one of the first times he, ta he talked, he told us this story, and I think you'll appreciate this. Terry Bozio goes up before him and tell, talks about all this technical mumbo jumbo. This is like, and this is like, like a oh, drum yeah, clinic, yeah, yeah. right? This is a yeah, he's doing a drum clinic. He's like never spoke to anybody. He was like, bongs and bonham. Bong and he said it's the first time he ever got a standing O was because he just <laughs> goes up there, he's, he's high as a you guy. You ruined like, his catchphrase, man. Bong, yeah, bong, bong hits and bonham. It's got, bong more, it's got more rhythm bonham. to it because he's a drummer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's a drummer and he's got, but, but it's so interesting because it's like, there's so many people that have that same like epiphany, but he also t called me one day and says, I only use a 23 inch kick drum because that's what Neil told me to. That's the perfect, that's the perfect balance between the 24, the 22 is the 23, you know? So it's interesting to hear you both say that because that like, it's, there's so many drummers from a certain period and it's like those guys were like so important and then for me was bill ward and in 19 i think it was at 97 or something you played a one-off show with fucking sabbath how the fuck does that happen i'll tell you exactly how it happened i i knew uh robert trujillo from suicidal tendencies through whitfield crane of my old band ugly kid joe ugly kid joe one friends and so next thing i know trujillo's coming out seeing my rockabilly band that I had in LA called Back Alligators that we would just do rockabilly shows. And uh, I've always had side projects, by the way. I always, I'm never, I don't sleep much. I, I, I love music too much to sleep, right? And That's so- That's amazing. And so I always, you know, this blues band was a funk band before that, that Tony and I was doing with, with the new singer. It, it's just, my life is all about music and I, I hate, I can't, I try not to be pigeonholed into one genre even if like i am loyal and i love godsmack and, and i will stay in godsmack as long as sully Ern will have me in his band i'm proud and lucky to be here but i always like to to play different styles of music too and feel that everybody should do it because 
as a musician, it makes you grow. You know, if you, like I say, you know, write a jazz, write, try and play some jazz drums if you're a drummer. You know, it's oh, a whole yeah. <laughs> or even tell, tell them about Rodolfo, Siobhan. Uh, oh, yeah. He, well, I, I have a good friend who's, he's the drummer for Julio Iglesias, like Latin pop music, but he's an amazing jazz drummer. And when I go see him play jazz gigs, like at small clubs, it's insane. Like, but the he started of, on Matt Cameron and he said, basically, yeah. if you want to be the ultimate musician, play jazz. He goes, that's the most impressive thing. And he writes like Frank Zappa level, like Vinnie Caliuta's like, oh man, I better take fucking notes kind of shit. Yeah, but it's all about the versatility. Exactly. Uh, going a little deeper, this is like the fifth time in the, in the last several weeks that we've had a podcast that has come on where we, we talk about how play outside of your comfort zone, play something that you're not familiar with because it's going to make you a better player. Um, you know, it, it's, it's crazy that like these themes that keep popping up with, with players such as yourself um, who are, you know, music incarnate, essentially, you just, yeah. you, you are music, your, your, your entire life is that and you have the same uh, great advice that we hear from people like Steve Stevens, who said the same exact thing on, on the episode with us as well. What, there was a lot of cocaine in the 80s? Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Don't talk about it. it. That's just another one of the parallels that we're finding. <laughs> <laughs> the guys at the record label had the best coke. He's according to Drew. We talked to Drew Ann Rosenberg, who was telling us that, that, that uh, uh, Christopher Walken, back to the Christopher Walken thing, was too <laughs> fucked up to walk in the end of Kings of New York uh, to walk down the center of the street. So she's actually carrying him <laughs> in that scene because he was fucked up. And I was like, that's fucking great. She's like, no one said anything about it. That's what an assistant director does, by the way. If you, if you did not know that, <laughs> is to carry so, Christopher Walken down the streets of New York City so that people don't realize that he can't walk for himself. Make sure you check out that episode. But, but Shannon, getting back to you. Um, so you, <laughs> it's, it's really cool to hear um, <laughs> that you have uh, this genuine appreciation for music. So I want to know, like, when you're playing a show with Godsmack, you know, and you're, and you're walking onto the stage there in, in, in these giant venues. And then you're going and you're playing with your side projects where maybe it's a smaller venue, maybe more intimate. You know, how's your feeling differ towards those two types of shows and performances? Between the smack and the blues thing? Yeah. Well, my God, you know, Godsmack, man, we're playing to like, you know, way more people and, and, there's usually, you know, we're, 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 we have a fan base, you know, and like there's people that know all our songs where, you know. Yeah, Godsmack's huge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you mean like 50 million people know your song, Shannon? But, yeah. but, for, but for you, when you're approaching those shows, how is it for you? You know, I, I'm a drummer, so I, I go up there and, and play the drums, man. It's no big deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's funny because, you know, when I said earlier about nerves and all that, that's that's for, you know, five minutes before any show, whether I'm playing the blues or if I'm playing a fucking stadium in front of 50,000 people, you know, I'm going to be nervous before I go on. And it's funny, you know, just the other day, well, a couple months ago, actually, Sully had come and Tony and Tony and Robbie and I were had written some new songs for Smack, you know, and so we were about to just play him for Sully and I got nervous. It's just, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but then once, once the first hit happens and, you know, so there's really, you know, there's really no way to, I can describe that, that feeling, you know, walking to the stage with God's back because we're like, I become like, you know, invincible and like, I'm just like, 
way bigger than I really am. I'm like 105 pounds soaking wet, you know. <laughs> but when I'm walking to the stage, I'm fucking Lou Ferrigno or something, you know what I mean? And uh, and so you know, you, it's you know, the fear is is not fear. It's it's uh, apprehension almost. That mm-hmm. and I'll, anytime I'm ever scared walking on stage, it's always thinking that I just I'm hoping that nothing technically goes wrong. You know what I mean? Like my fear is never about myself or my performance or my playing because I'm always I've always been straight guy on stage after the after the shows when I party, but all day I don't even like get I get I smoke pot or whatever. I love to smoke pot, I've done it all my life. And so but I don't do it in the daytime. So because even if I got high on tour like say at eleven in the morning or something, I'm still gonna be burnt and tired at nine o'clock for the show that night. It's just the way I am. Where like Rambola man Well that's why you gotta do cocaine like the eighties. <laughs> oh yeah yeah. You gotta weed and speed it, bro. Like, don't you know the like the circle of life? Like, you, you you're about to pass out from like doing the bong rip, and then you do like the fucking the line, the fish scale <laughs> shit, and you're fine. And you go back, you're a thousand miles per hour. Yeah. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> used to be doable. Look at that lava lamp. I love the lava lamp. People can't even see it, but the lava lamp is fucking. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, if everyone has to watch the video for this. You can't yes. just listen Is to the audio. Is that a three-eyed donkey? It's a... Um, horns? Looks like a... I don't it's know. It's like a mogwai. It's, it's like a... It's not a real animal. <laughs> what kind of, is it a rabbit? It's a, like, a, it's like a, a, a unicorn rabbit with two horns. I thought Velbel was cool, but apparently <laughs> I got out Velbel. I'm, I'm missing an avatar. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so cute. <laughs> I love Shannon Larkin, by the way. <laughs> I just want everybody to know. This one's pretty. Real time. Oh my gosh, where where are all these characters coming from? This Do people make cool. these for you on tour? <laughs> I got this one. Look, it has bat wings. That's so. That's hilarious. <laughs> bat- Does some chick throw that with her number up on stage? It's like cute and scary at the same really? time. Cool. No, I I have like this room. You know, has all the floors are covered. It's covered with like, you know, pillows and fuzzy things you know (laughs) define fuzzy things (laughs) are we talking rugs carpets uh (laughs) well one uh, one fuzzy thing is this uh yoga ball and you know it's it's like i don't know a big ball that sits on a stand and it's fuzzy though and then you know you can sit on it in you know yoga pose and, and ah okay okay and it, you know, at first, you know, it, it's a cool thing, the yoga ball, because you have to center yourself or else you lose your balance and fall on your ass, you know. So makes you center yourself unless you're going to break your hip or something. <laughs> I'm going to need some interior decoration uh, advice well, for my studio because I don't have half that vibe. So when I went to physical therapy, I used one of those yoga balls for my hips. I actually, you, you find out after 30, apparently, that there's a good hip and a bad hip. And my left hip is my bad hip. So, like, I actually used it to stretch over a ball. So, I, I can understand. So, maybe maybe going to your house would be therapeutic on multiple levels, whether it's going to the netherworld um, and tripping and talking at the Fillmore or, you know, just making sure that I'm aligned so I don't pull Eddie Van Halen doing that fucking split mid-guitar solo. <laughs> you know what else I got? Speaking of, uh, you know, physical health or whatever and yoga i got the mirror oh i was wondering about that i i very much want one 
it's super cool, man. And it's the thing is, it's a big, beautiful mirror too that sits in the room. Like it leans against the wall, you know. And so it looks just like a mirror, but then you turn it on and it hooks right to your phone, your iPhone, and you know comes up with. It's like the holodeck. Well, yeah, and it's like it stands about five feet tall, you know. So the person in it is like I don't know, four feet tall. Uh, but it's like there's a person you know, in the Obi-Wan mirror. Kenobi, you're my yeah. only hope. Yeah. I, it's I, like a hologram type thing in the in, in the mirror, right? It's like a virtual. It really is virtual looking. It looks like hologram kind of, and so it's like 3D looking. It looks like they're in the mirror. It's it's really cool. And but you can also it has a camera and a microphone, and you can go on there and, and do these programs live where you, you know, oh Shannon has joined the room or whatever, and there's all these people actually live doing it with a live guy. Okay, come on, Shannon. That sounds oh, terrifying. But anyway, so I choose not to do that stuff. And so <laughs> we have the pre-recorded ones that are like, so there's 15 minutes. So I've been doing like the 15-minute the Tai Chi one and then the yoga one. And then there's a kickboxing and a boxing one. So I've been doing those four to make like an hour workout each day. And it's cool because the yoga stretches you out. And then the Tai Chi is kind of an extension of the yoga. And then you start the boxing thing, which warms you up. And then by the time you get to the kickboxing part, you know, you're limber. And so it's a pretty good workout. This sounds like the movie cool. Strange Days by James Cameron. Do you remember that? Where they used to like record people's memories and you could like watch them back in virtual reality and they sold them on the black market. This wasn't one of his big movies like Terminator or Avatar. This is one of his dark 80s movies with terrible like synth for soundtrack shit after the abyss. Yeah, but that's what it sounds like, man, is that you just bought this memory to go do Tai Chi and all this other stuff, and you're, like, living in this fucking world. And if you are tripping nuts, it doesn't matter because there's, like, there's no repercussions because everything in your room, it's like a padded room over there, bro. It's, it's all fuzzy. It's all fine. Like, you're good. I haven't looked at the mirror tripping. That would be intense. Oh, that would be horrifying. Sounds I feel scary. like Joe Rogan and you need to figure this one out. <laughs> the thing is, though, you, you know, you when, when you turn the mirror on, it doesn't, be, it's now, it's not a mirror. It's like a big screen TV rectangle. And so, um, fucking, you don't see yourself in it. Oh, that's good. You know what I mean? What if Mike like, Portnoy so showed up and started playing <laughs> the mirror by Dream Theater and just oh, you, slightly yeah. off with that fuck with you? Like, so, like, you turned it on, you're standing in front of it, but then Mike's there, like, with his big kit, like, mirroring your big kit. That'd be weird, right? Oh my God, we played with Dream Theater uh, last year in, uh, well, I mean, yeah, 2019, I mean. And so, we, man, Genie. We were at one of those festivals in Europe, and uh, Dream Theater was headlining the stage. They're huge over there. This was in like, I think it was in uh, France, right? Or maybe. Anyway, they were huge. And it, it, it was, it's, this was just 2019. And they were, anyway, so I found myself having lunch with Mike, the drummer. Wow. And he was so fucking cool. I'd never met him before. And I hadn't seen him play. You know, I know Portnoy. Um, Mike Portnoy yeah. is, is a buddy. You know, I consider him a buddy. He's the coolest fucking guy. And a, one of oh, monster monster drummer you know adrenaline mob his his band well had. there there's mike portnoy and then Mangini's like a, a bozio <laughs> or a kaliuda or a fucking simon phillips where he's from a different planet like he's like quirky crazy he's a bostonian crazy guy well Mangini, that's what i meant but 
His name no, is- no, I'm saying I'm saying Portnoy is like of the realm of the living. He's like one of the greatest drummers on the planet. But like Mike Mangini could go into any band. He's like a Virgil Donati where he literally has been practicing nine hours a day since like, you know, 1972. And he, my God, he's, he's a funny, nice dude. I met him at, at catering and we had lunch together at catering. And, and then, and so I go to see him play and, you know, and I was lucky enough, fortunate enough to be able to stand on the side of the stage. So I'm like, you know, 15 feet away from this dude being able like behind him i could see everything he's doing so it was like a clinic i got to see with mancini but he had done this thing i don't know if you've seen him i don't know if this is how he's always played but he put his symbols five feet above him in the air like every oh yeah and i mean it's like a tommy like tommy aldridge like level like where you're like literally no, like no, playing no. it from underneath or something yes but more <laughs> beyond Tommy Aldridge, but he, and he told me, Mangene told me the story. He did it on purpose because everybody would always bust his ass because they would take the piss out of him because his symbols were too high. Jesus, dude, your symbols are too high, right? So he's like, I was just fucking with everybody. So I put him up another foot. (laughs) (laughs) But all of his symbols and like, literally he's like, douche, douche. It was fucking the craziest thing but i was like oh not only is he playing this immaculate parts and crazy time signatures and lightning fast fills and he's doing all the old they did all the old shit too you know so he's playing portnoy shit and and but with his symbols tempe near it was the most amazing thing the uh the sound engineer in me thinks that's amazing no bleed in the tom mics it's gonna be awesome <laughs> well he's like the david blaine of drumming because he's like it's not about how fast can you play it's about how good are your muscles that you've isolated so that you can play with his technique as fast as you physically can he's crazy yeah. he's literally crazy and i love it like up up between the the two front crashes that were i swear to god the dude full extension Full extension to hit these symbols. That's how he's playing all night. And uh, and then well, when you're used to hitting octatom, uh, octatoms back here, you know what I mean. And your chimes are over here. I imagine that hitting the seventh symbol over here is fine. Dude, he put four octobombs in a row. <laughs> now these are these are six inch targets. Okay, they get their length is what gives them the different tone. So but the targets are only six inches and they were 10 feet up too, in between his first two crashes before facing straight out of the crowd for Octobomb. And he would go, (laughs) (laughs) it was insane. I never saw it. Does he have extension like uh, kick drums? Because when I saw Terry Bozio for the first time, he was playing uh, a polyrhythm with his feet sideways. And then he started soloing with his radial cymbals. And yep. I was like, okay, uh, you have more kick drums than their their feet. It was, man, these <laughs> cats, both those guys are crazy. Terry Bozio, by the way, was one of my favorite and biggest influences back in the day. You know, I really loved that band Missing Person. Oh, yeah, dude. And I had That's heard, unbelievable. But, you know, as a musician, you know, he did this thing where he would do the up-down, I now call it, because, you know, he, he filled with his top, like when it goes mental hearts got why must you treat me this way and then the end hearts got and they go so 
Dagga, dagga, boogie, dagga, dagga, boogie, dagga, right? Yeah. But when he did it, it was like, <laughs> I was like, that dude. Wow. Yes. You know? Well, when I, just so, so Corey and Siobhan knows, when we just talked to Steve Stevens, I told him that Situation Dangerous from Black Light Syndrome was actually my first introduction to him as a guitar player, was him playing with Terry Bozio mm-hmm. and, and Tony Levin. And, and that, if, first off, if you haven't heard Black Light Syndrome, uh, what which a is, band. That's, yeah, dude, I, I mean, Unfucking believe, but that was my first uh, entrance to Steve Stevens. He's like, I'm not normally a prog guy, but I'm like, I don't know who this Billy Idol fucker is. <laughs> I'm like, you know, 15, but I'm like, man, he's keeping up with Terry. And it was unbelievable. And I saw a clinic with him playing, um, you know, and I was like, he's playing Bach arias on the goddamn cymbals, like that dude. And that was the first time I had ever seen someone said this guy's on a different level. Like maybe a band can't contain him. You know, maybe being ex Frank Zappa means that you're just like on spectrum. Well, yeah, and you know, there, there's a great new uh, documentary out about Frank Zappa that I just saw, but uh, which is I think it's on Netflix. Look for that. Paul Lorenzo, who's coming on this Wednesday, our drummer and I actually have a date to watch the new uh, Frank Zappa documentary. And Paul, your your have you have you ever talked to Paul, your manager, about him going on a date with Moon Unit? No, I never did. <laughs> okay, you need to ask. Just ask him about Frank Zappa because he. There's a whole story about uh, how, when he was dating the 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 girl from the Beverly Hillbillies, and he oh, tells me this whole story about how he goes to Frank's house. Oh that, like, Yeah, dude, that's how Dweezil played on Extreme. You gotta ask Paul. I'll Your ask- own manager has some of the coolest <laughs> stories ever, dude. I'll ask him. I mean, you know, I I I trip out on Paul. You know, he tells me stories about hanging out at Joe Perry's house recently and shit. No, uh, you know, hanging out. But anyway, um. Yeah, it's it's amazing, Zappa. So, Bozio, Bozio. I think it's Bozio. I don't know. Something. I thought it was Bozio, but then I feel like Steve Stevens said Bozio, and I said Bozio, and corrected myself to Bozio. I guess Terry Bozio or Bozio can get mad at us and then come talk to us and correct us, like David Abruzzis. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a bruiser. What? I'm going to kick that guy back. I literally was like, I have no idea how to say your name, man. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, Terry. After I'd heard him in Missing Persons, it was probably, God, I don't know, that was 85 or something. So 10 years later, I discover Frank Zappa in my life, right? And I get, you know, I just become a huge Zappa fan late in the game, you know? Obviously, it's never too late, man. His record came out, I was just born, you know, whatever, the first one. So 67, I think. So anyway, I, I got on Zappa when it was Joe's Garage era, so whatever age I was then. But my point Which is... This is my first Zappa record, by the way. Unbelievable when I, record. But when I first was turned on to Zappa, it involved acid and the movie Baby Snakes. Have you seen that? I have There's, not. Get, it's Frank Zappa, Baby Snakes. And it's, it's essentially a whole Zappa concert. He has uh, Fazio on drums. He has... Oh my God! I think Steve Vai, young Steve Vai on guitar. It's this crazy, insane Zappa band playing. Uh, oh my God! It's he orchestrates the concert. It's the most amazing thing. But in it's also a movie like that he made. Um, uh, God, it, it it has claymation. It's called yeah, claymation. Oh when you're oh, tripping, no. <laughs> that's just crazy when you're not tripping. When you throw acid in the mix. Well, that's the funny part is that Frank Zappa never did any drugs and he was just like that anyway. Isn't that just bizarre? Just an enlightened human. 
<laughs> I, in, in fact, when I went to New Orleans, they had uh, this rare guitar store, a, a ledger that was like a, a whole written out symphony from Frank Zappa. And I actually sent Paul um, pictures to send to Dweezil. To, and he was like, oh, yeah, no, this is definitely my dad's handwriting. But like he wrote symphonies that they're like, oh, the, the lyrics, one of the symphonies they wrote, he wrote the lyrics were too vulgar in the English language. So he had it translated. I don't know if it was the French or something else, but he had like this crazy symphony, I think about like assholes and dicks and things and all that. And he wrote an actual symphony and he had it translated to another language so people would take it seriously. Well, you know, that could be, that could be, that's something I haven't heard, but I do know in the the new documentary, you'll see near the end, man, he was, he was composing symphony, not in with no vulgar lyrics, but uh, he made, he was a you know symphonic music writer and all through those rock years too he was trying to compose symphony music classical music you know but in bizarre even more bizarre than classical already is you know but zappa and yeah it's the oddest coolest thing that he never did drugs because he certainly had doorways to other dimensions that we can only find through use of hallucinogens you know no, I, I agree with that completely. I, I sometimes, um, you know, when people ask how I compose and all that, I just say I'm like an Ouija board to something else. Like uh, we have, <laughs> we play with this guitar player, Joey, who, who's so, his, his, his tone is so unique that like we played Van Halen, but it sounded like even when he was playing non-Van Halen things on Van Halen, it sounded like Eddie playing Van Halen. And I'm like, dude, some people are able to tap into a thing. And I think it's very esoteric. I think it's a very introspective thing. And part of finding your tone, whether it's as a drummer or a guitar player, is um, really thinking about and projecting to the world what what you want to manifest as a musician. And I think that you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, as far as the Bonham and, and the Terry Bozio, Terry Bozio thing, Look, man, I remember not knowing a whole lot about Godsmack and coming and seeing you guys, I think, with Metallica or what have you, and then seeing you and Sully do a drum solo. And that's usually when I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go fucking get some beer now or what have you, and thinking that this was actually the coolest thing that I had ever fucking saw in my entire life. And the only other band, by the way, that successfully has done this autonomous to you that I've seen at least is Cypress Hill, by the way. If you haven't seen them, they do a very similar thing where they all get on like djembes and and hand, uh, talking sticks and fucking crazy shit but you guys in the middle of your show do this thing where you and sully both get on the drums and as a plebeian that barely understands what tony's doing on the guitar i'm just like i don't even get it but then i was like okay they're throwing sticks at each other they're doing <laughs> wow like they're playing uh, is this a polyrhythm okay a b a, a. i'm like I'm, and I, it was the first time i actually <laughs> thought to myself this drummer's good. <laughs> what made you guys decide to do that? What a setup. Did I, uh, did I, I cause you, him to freeze? I think you joined them. <laughs> I think I actually caused him to, like, I overloaded his connection. That was crazy, dude. Yeah, that was, that's actually how I felt about it. Like, you were <laughs> like, I got right over here, like from my point of view, was hey, you that Oh, you're cutting it. Oh no! <laughs> Even better, you he probably was, didn't miss. He was just much. fanboying over the drum solo. <laughs> yeah, it was the first time I actually said that that was really awesome, like ever. Because I uh, usually I go get the beer, you know, like during the drum solo. Like you're like okay, unless you're like Tommy Aldridge again playing with your hands. It's you guys like, brought it to a different level. It's like I said, you know, it's not really a drum solo. 
you know what I mean? Because the band's still on stage playing music with Sully and I. We just get moments to improvise, which is always nice because the band is is a big machine. We call us, we're the big machine, man. Like we we don't fuck around and make mistakes live. We're well rehearsed, super rehearsed, over rehearsed. We rehearse because we love to be tight. And, you know, it's, it's Sully and I's blue collar rock fucking upbringing playing the clubs all our lives you know you would always have to be the best back in the 80s you got signed because you'd bring you'd bring people to clubs man from banging the circuit and then when you got to where you could sell out the hammer jacks or the fucking lamore or whatever that's when you get the labels out and they'd sign your ass you know or now it's a whole different world where you know you can you it's about social presence on your how many hits you have how, how good you are on tiktok <laughs> well you no, know that's a, that's amazing that you well, say that honestly if you if you're a band and you get a million likes or whatever on your site you you got a record deal that's how you do it now where it used to be you'd have to sell out start selling out the clubs and to get the a and r guy to come out start a buzz create it you know what i mean there was artist development you know it's it's a, it's a whole different world than what i came up in and uh, at times I feel sorry for like new bands trying to come out in this day and age and make it because, you know, it's, it's, it's not as, it's not as physically real as when you have to go out in front of a crowd and, and sell yourself by playing, by playing your music, your instrument, your songs, by the chemistry with the three guys or four guys on stage with you, you know, you presented it like a, a unit and it was real to me, you know? So now, it's it's all you can you can manipulate you know like you know now i'm a different dude right <laughs> you remind me of that guy from the park the other night the park no I'm just, just ignore I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> i was just being creepy as usual no you're right though i mean it is definitely there's got to be like a foundation that's lost on newer artists that do succeed so say they do catch that wave some just by some magic uh, you know stroke of luck and they they get a song that blows up and then now they got to go tour but they don't they've played everything in their bedroom up to this point and I yep. think that that probably happens quite a bit. Yep, yep. And then they got to learn out there and some some continue and are stars, twenty one pilots or whatever. You know they did it like that and but then took their success or super talented. And, you know, continued on. There's also something to be said for the bands that started, you know, building that over years and years and years, fan by fan, and have that solid base um, so that when they do get to a level of success, and we talked about this uh, on our episode with Dan Beck. Um, Pennies in the Jar. Pennies in the Jar, exactly. Yeah. And, and he was he was referring to uh, Charlie Daniels' band, who worked for years and years and years before they really blew up. And they had built so many relationships that when they did finally start building momentum and getting that recognition, uh, everyone wanted to help them out. They had this immense support system that, that didn't allow them to just skyrocket and fall back down. Um, and that's definitely something that might not be as common nowadays. With, uh, oh, wait. And now it's one and done, man. I mean, you know, if your first record doesn't sell, then you get dropped. Yeah. And you, if you if you got a second record, you're lucky. Even in the '90s, you know, uh, it had become that. Where '60s and '70s were all about artist development, you know. Well, here's a here's a hypothetical because 
there's been a whole generation that has devalued music. Like you came from a time, right? When you used to look through the import bin, you bought records, you waited for records, you, you cherished and coveted records. Whereas now everything's disposable. You can get it on Pandora instantly, YouTube, all of that. Mm -hmm. But now there's been literally a whole generation of people that exist on this planet that have never bought a CD, that have never purchased a record. That, but now they're playing music. They're playing in bands and they're realizing that this is fruitless. Like, oh, how the fuck do you possibly make money? So my question is, do you think that at some point soon that we're going to start seeing like the generation that maybe grew up with no value to music starting to value music again because there's just no way to continue on? Because how the fuck are you supposed to play to nobody all the time? which is what basically has happened. Well, one, because of COVID right now, but two, <laughs> because it's so, you're absolutely right. It's so hard. Like you, you could play in a band. Like I even remember, like I got signed in 2000 in my first band and we were selling out clubs. We played local bazooka, which is, was a festival that, you know, uh, Godsmack shot a video um, at, uh, and we got, we got signed and we did it the old school way. We went to a studio that was a thousand dollars a day and we spent, you know, six figures on a record and yeah. that was the end. Now they're like, if you're lucky, they're like, I, I hope you know somebody that knows how to master. Here's $50 for Burger King. Deliver <laughs> us Billy Eilish. Yeah. I mean, dude, Rathchild, you know, that's what happened to us. Uh, we, we made, you know. $300,000 videos or whatever for Atlantic records, you know, did we, we, we luckily they, they didn't drop us after the first record. We got to make a second record, but, uh, you know, and then after that, you know, well, shit, man, you talk about Julio Iglesias, the, the lead singer and bass player, Brad Divins of Rothschild, my band, my first band is, Enrique Iglesias Selman. Mm. <laughs> so Brad Divin made it. Enrique, by the way, sells out stadiums oh, yeah. worldwide. He's like fucking the Latin Elvis, man. Uh -huh. yeah. To the point that, you know, Brad. Oh, Divin we've been told they like shut down like the Kremlin for his fucking dad. So think about it. Dude, it's crazy. It's, it's craziest. And so, you know, like where I was fortunate enough to have met Sully all those years ago and lucky enough to have, you know, blessed with whatever talent I have on drums and stuff. So I got Godsmack in this successful band. Well, Brad, after Rothschild ended, uh, started running sound, ended up landing uh, Cindy Lauper, believe it or mm -hmm. not. First one. And from that, he got Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band when they got back together. Nice. And then that led to Slayer. <laughs> and so anyway, he started making his rounds and making it, stepping up, boom, boom, boom. And then he got Enrique like 10 years ago. And he's been Enrique's guy ever since. Do you think that they sat down and they talked to him and they're like, hey, do you think you could do front of house for Enrique? And he's like, dude, I made Carrie King and Jeff Hanneman sound <laughs> great. Yeah. You got the job, bro. Yeah, you got I, it. He probably... I'd, I'd have to ask Brad. I know that's in jest, but, you know, he did have that on his resume. No, that's fucking great. I, I think that's awesome. And as a sound engineer, in fact, I have a similar story. There's a guy named Paul David Hagar, and um, he's, um, he's a great uh, mixing guy. Um, he did, I think he worked with like Van Halen, some bands. But now he's Miley Cyrus's front of house. And um, the, the old singer from American Hi-Fi, Stacy 
who used to play, I want to say, drums in um, Letters to Cleo, is now the leader of her band. And if you've seen Miley Cyrus, her band sounds fucking awesome. She sounds awesome. And they always sound awesome because everyone that's playing with them are guys like Mm-hmm. Paul and uh, you know, Stacy, boy, a fucking boy Nuno, man. You know when you saw him on the Grammys played step oh, up. Nuno, you don't need to sell me a Nuno band. <laughs> I'm from Boston. When he stepped up and played that solo and was with, he was Rihanna's guy, man. That was I was blown away. You know, I was like, look at that, look at Nuno. <laughs> I mean, that's bigger than Extreme will ever be, and bigger than Godsmack will ever be. Well, I love the picture of, of Nuno. Of Nuno yeah, with um, it's Grammys pa- with with playing the lead. There he is, and he well, was. He played, he, played, he played with Paul McCartney as well, and Kanye West. So, like, let's not forget about that. Did you oh, see that picture? Rihanna's something else, you know. Well, I mean, ta- talent-wise, Rihanna is, is she's one of the greatest of our time. And he wasn't just like yeah, he played with Paul McCartney, and he played with uh, whatever. But he was Rihanna's guy. No, no, yeah, he was. Like he helped. Produce, and I mean, you know, he he played with Rihanna. Well, he also (laughs) played on Black Cat from Janet Jackson back in the '80s, dude. He's been doing this, like you know what I mean. Like Nuno is the man. Yes, played on that album, that song, right? Yeah. Well, now he's like the leader of the band. Yeah. Rihanna's guy that put the band was her band director. Like he was in Rihanna. I mean. (laughs) I would like to be in Rihanna. Yes. <laughs> so Rihanna, if you're listening, we've got a guy. <laughs> I don't have to play drums. <laughs> oh my god! But that's but you're totally right because when you go see a lot of these bands, like I, if you went and saw like NSYNC back in the day or whatever, they always have these repressed rock guys that are in their band. These super unbelievable. Like, yeah, I we talked you about this on with other Vanilla episodes, Ice, yeah. right? Um, I remember meeting Bob Zilla from Damage Plan when I was hanging out with Dimebag, which is the night I met Mike Mangini, may I add? It's a randomness, but um, he said uh, that he played um, with Vanilla Ice, and I actually played a show uh, with the Vanilla Ice band when he was doing the metal thing, uh, and they were like across the street, and I was at like the Commercial Street Cafe, which was like in downtown Worcester, Massachusetts, and like that was the first time I met Bob Zilla, and then I met him again with Damage Plan. But didn't you play in I, the Vanilla Ice rock thing? Yeah, man, I tracked that record, man. So Rob, what was that like, dude? Working with with the Robert Van Winkle? It was fucking amazing, man. We smoked so much pot in Malibu. We were at the studio with Ross Robinson producing, just weeding out, man. And he had you know a crew of dudes with him rapper guys you know and it was a it was just an amazing like i you know i i had just had a baby and i got a picture of vanilla ice holding my baby and shit and he was <laughs> the coolest guy. I, we're still i mean you know i made a record with him over a six-week period and so we you know became friendly and i still talk to him every halloween and you know he's just a super cool guy too and and i i even you know get some ruin like they gave me a little publishing on that record you know and i so i still even get some checks every once in a while oh you know thousand dollars or something made from <laughs> fucking hard to swallow vanilla ice you know but he's glad like you know he called me just i called him i reached out to him uh, halloween is his birthday so every uh, october 31st i always reach out to him. makes bro. sense and i'm like what up man and uh he's like yeah you gotta come visit man he goes you know i've really done a lot around the house I'm talking fucking, I got, I got a helicopter and I got, uh, what else he said? He did, I got a fucking helicopter now and, um, 
and zip lines, baby. It's like, <laughs> I got zip lines. You got to visit. I'm like, you got zip lines. <laughs> I'm trying to picture, because I mean, I have a river goes through my backyard, right? That I've made this street. I, Does it go through underneath your room? No, I so can you feel the vibrations. This is a crazy fucking thing. The pandemic, you know, we've all been, you know, suffering at home or whatever. Well, I took the opportunity to just go crazy in my yard. And so I took, you know, I, you know, I already have, I have, uh, you know, I had a beautiful, I have a beautiful koi pond, right? In my, in my, right off my back porch is this beautiful koi pond. And across from that is, a, is another koi pond, but it's specifically for my turtles. I have a turtle pond and a koi pond. And so, you know, I wanted to put a, a third pond in the back, in the back corner of my yard, you know, where I like to go. I have this, this uh, like pagoda Japanese fountain like that I like to listen and, and write, write words, you know, and, and meditate out there by the bamboo, I have bamboo trees, whatever. I made wow. like a Japanese garden out of my yard, right? It's beautiful. And so I get the idea to put this, this, this 10,000 gallon circular koi pond in the back left corner of my yard. And then my buddy, who helped me build uh, my original nine by twenty foot koi pond, and then I did the turtle pond myself. I mean, I ran it back. I did this myself. But anyway, so where I'm like, he's like, dude, you should you should cut a lazy river and and connect your old koi pond with your new one, right? And, and it's like this, the Panama Canal. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> fucking Theodore Roosevelt over here, man. So it's 170 feet away, right? <laughs> is where this pond is going to go. And so I, you know, I, I traced it out and <laughs> you know, we, we, we ended up doing it. And, you know, so I, and it, it, obviously it can't be a creek or a real creek or a river because there needs to be an, an entrance and exit way for water to make a river or a creek, right? So it's really one giant pond, 33,000 gallons. I went from a nine by 20 foot pond. We, we, we took the uh, liner, we pulled it up and dam made a dam. So I didn't even have to move my fish out, my 11 beautiful koi that I had. Is this a drummer thing? Like when you go from a four-piece kit and then you turn into Terry Bozio? <laughs> You're like <laughs> hooking Gibraltar racks to Gibraltar racks. And next thing you know, you have 33,000 gallons of water and koi fish and turtles that are now integrating. And you're trying to find out if your ecosystem can fucking handle both of these animals with the same, like, you know, type of water Just or whatever. Like that. Just this like is why Florida is great, though. You can do this and it's like completely fine. Yeah, my koi fish procreated, um, and I got six babies in my pond now that I, I didn't even notice a pregnant fish. It was odd. But uh, so I know my, my ecosystem, it's balanced and everything is good. But uh, but we did. We rented a backhoe. We, we dammed this thing off. It took us six weeks. We went through three tropical storms. Uh, three times I had to hire an extra six-man crew just to dig this dirt out. It was a fucking— Oh, my goodness. You know, it, it, really, it really consumed— a lot of my time on this pandemic and gave me something to like look forward to, you know, and it made me realize, you know, that's what life is. You know, it's about things to look forward to, you know, whether it's, you know, the next song I'm going to write or the next record I'm going to make or the next tour I'm going to do, or, you know, the next present I'm going to buy somebody or whatever it is, you know, that's beautiful. It's something to look forward to. Like might be what's for dinner tonight. It's going to be like getting to this football game at some point. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm going to say what <laughs> Theodore Roosevelt, <laughs> you know, yeah, we'll let you go. But I'll say what Theodore Roosevelt used to say is bully for you, Shannon. 
for making that canal. <laughs> Bully for you. And thank you so much from the bottom of, yeah. uh, of at least my heart. I don't know yeah, if there's... Absolutely. Of course. For coming no, this on. was such a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you for taking time away from the game and for hanging out with us. It was so oh, fun. Sorry, sorry that and. By the way, it's, it's Shaban? Shaban. 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 The spelling is really weird. It's Irish, but it's... And it's, she's in a band called Star Set, as well as if you've seen the show The Queen's Gambit, she plays a lot of the violin on that show. So if you, if you get like all baked and go on. listen to the... So you're in Star Set? Yeah. That's awesome, man. You guys yeah. are great. Oh, thank you. We were, I think, supposed to do a show with you this year, but I think it got canceled. I don't know, but... New Brutus. New Brutus is kind of, you know... Is oh, a, yeah. I know Lou, and he, he, I follow him online on the Facebook. Yeah, he's great. He, he really loves you guys, and so that's how I heard of you, and I watched a video of the new song. Oh, that's couple, awesome. That's so very, cool to hear. Very cool original band. Uh, uh, fully, fully to you as Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> well, hopefully, Shannon, we can. If I can just do a shameless plug before I go. Of Absolutely. course, please, anything. Yeah. I have a side project. And it's with Tony Rombola of Godsmack. He plays the guitar. And he has a side to him that you do not hear in Godsmack. That is his fucking, he loves the blues guitarists of Stevie Ray Vaughan and Albert King and Johnny Winter. And anyway, that's his thing that people don't know about him is he's really, 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 really talented. And, you know, in Godsmack, he, man, he's the man. He makes those rhythms that sound like Godsmack and comes up with most, whatever, chords, He's Godsmack, but man, when you hear him play the blues, it's insane. And it's heavy, heavy rock blues, by the way. And uh, we write the songs together. My drum tech, it's a Cinderella story. My drum tech of 20 years is the new singer in the band. And we put two records out on Provog, which is Kenny Wayne's label. It's this big blues label, actually. They got Walter Trout. They got uh, Robin Ford. They got everybody on, on Provog. Well, we were much more traditional blues at that point. We were called the Apocalypse Blues Review. And we had a singer named Ray, who was a more traditional blues guy. Well, that band, we put two records out on Provog, and, and you know, they didn't sell much. And it's blues anyway. It's probably whatever. And so Provog, it was a two-record deal. They didn't pick us back up, right? And so I was just kind of like, and then I wrote this new batch of material and uh, realized that uh, it wasn't, it was no longer trying to be traditional blues. It was just this crazy trippy music that was coming out and that my drum tech Shane, who's also my best friend had the perfect voice for it. He's kind of like in, in between like Bowie and Gilmore. And he's just got this really cool, smooth voice and it. And he's a great falsetto, whatever. So anyway, so I put him in the new band and we made this new record and, I just want everybody to hear it. It's called the Apocalypse Blues Revival. And I, I'm the Apocalypse. I was named the Apocalypse. I tattooed it on my hand in uh, 2001. And at the time, I was a raging alcoholic in the best of ways. And did, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Hunter S. Thompson. And that's all. And I did lots of drugs. And I was in this punk band, amen. And we were touring the world with Slipknot. And even Slipknot, who really know how to party like Pantera knew how to party. They did. They were the fucking real and they destroyed shit. And, but when they'd see me coming, when Joey Jorison see me coming with that look in my eye, he'd be like, all right, everybody watch out. Here comes the apocalypse. Right. And so it's nice. stuck. So everybody started calling me, Hey, there comes the apocalypse. And so I got a tattoo. Well, you know, 
fucking 2003, so whatever, 15, 20 years later, we start this blues thing, and Tony Rombola goes, how about the apocalypse blues? Because, you know, you're the apocalypse, and, uh, you know, we our intent, the intent is blues. So I'm the apocalypse, the intent is blues. The review was my band. Now the revival's my band. And it's it's the same bass player, this guy, Brian Carpenter, Floridian guy, the best bass player in America right now. I'd back that. You hear his bass on this new record. It's insane. Nice. He's like, Where can we hear it, dude? You could go. It's out, man. Go to ApocalypseBluesRevival.com. Go to Spotify. Go to iTunes. Yeah, uh, we'll, have, we'll have links in the description here. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll absolutely it. link yeah. it. Yeah, dude. We'll, we'll blatantly whore that shit out. Please, we have three videos out on YouTube. Do that first because they're... It's a it's a semi concept, semi autobiographical record that mm-hmm. I wrote. I wrote this record. I produced. It, I mixed it, and it's like it's it's like Sully says. Oh my God! It's like where, where did you record? Did you record it yourself? Stepping inside my brain for a minute, right? And so, we, well, we went to a studio right here in Southwest Florida called uh, Dream Studios. This guy Duncan, who's he's an old Englishman man. He's in his he's in his seventies. Uh, he was he played horn. He played fucking tenor sax for Little Richard's band. Oh, shit. No big deal. Wow. In the studio. I mean, we're using the fucking on the new Apocalypse record, the revival. We we use this the Hammond B three from from fucking Muscle Shoals. Oh, that's that, incredible. That Greg Allman even like has he upgraded it with his own little who, Greg who? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I know his brother though. That's some shit, right? And so, and then we got Kenny. I got Kenny James to play the Hammond B three on this new record, and he comes from Rare Earth. Like that dude was nominated for a Grammy the year I was born. Kenny James. He played the B three on our new record, and his uh, name alone just sounds like, dude. Kenny James is right. fucking coming down, right? Like, dude, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Kenny James is in the room. This one, so I get, I fly in Marco Paolo. Not Marco Polo, but his real name, Marco Polo. <laughs> uh, from, from, he was, it was the day before, he, the only day that he could play the sax on this record for me was the day before he was to enter Capitol Studios in, in L.A., the big round famous studio yeah. with Sinatra. But he was going in room B instead of the big room A. But still, he plays for Louis Prima Jr.'s band. He's a sax player for that band, who I know the drummer, A.D. Adams, from. And Louis Prima's father, Louis Prima Sr., wrote, uh, I ain't got nobody. You know that one? And that's I'm that- Benny Goodman, bro. I know that shit. That's, that's, I, I, I absolutely love all that crap, dude. And in my crap, I mean some stuff like Gene Krupa era stuff. Yeah, it's big band swing shit. Anyway, so I got that cat to play on the, uh, on the record. And that's the only guest musicians. And then it's Tony, myself, Brian, and Shane. Apocalypse Blues Revival. But anyway, the semi-autobiographical thing, is, I came up with this like story, and the song started taping, sh- taking shape in the tour bus in Europe and Godsmack tour. And you know, my, my mom was dying of COPD, and she was living alone. I had to move her to up north in West Virginia. It was a big thing that was going on. I really had the blues. My sister had cancer. She ended oh up pass- passing three months later and shit. So, I'm sorry, dude. So and then the other part of it was written... 
a lot. And so anyway, it's a very, very personal record for me. And so I really want people to Yeah, we definitely it. have to check it out for sure. Yeah. We'll definitely share and, it. And, and honestly, I, I'm sorry that we're so egocentric that we didn't even give you an open to talk about it more. And I hope that you'll come back and talk <laughs> to us about it so we don't have to have you like shove your life story about your mom and like your sister and like fuck cancer and all that shit. And like, oh, yeah, cool. Three seconds. Bye. Well, listen, man. If that's an invitation, I accept. I would love to come back on the oh, show. Yeah. And no, you're another. so awesome. It was we so, love so you, nice dude. to talk like, to I you. Wanna, you have so much shit that we just want to talk. I, 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 we haven't even scratched the surface with you, dude. And you need it. to come back on when we have David on because I think it'd be great if you guys as drummers kind of like had at it and we just sat back because <laughs> I, I consider you one of the greatest drummers. That would be the trippiest my... episode oh my we gosh, would ever yeah. possibly have. Dude, he's have. such a fucking trip. Dude, he he had lunch. He told us about lunch with uh, Timothy Leary. So go on to 2020-d.com yeah. and watch David Abraziz's ap- episodes because he talks about, uh, you know, tripping out there and wherever he is. Uh, there's a volcano. There's, uh, <laughs> there's Timothy Leary. There's tripping in the streets of Amsterdam and carrying beds around it's some some crazy shit dude yeah some stories yeah so we'll definitely get that going again shannon thank you so much uh godsmack.com obviously if you guys want to go hear some some stadium rock and we have literally the biggest fucking rock band i don't want to say since aerosmith but i don't think anyone in your would your band be upset if i say since aerosmith because like we all know the kings of boston are aerosmith but they're they're getting older and, and it, the torch needs to be passed, and maybe it's to Sully Erna and all of you guys, because I gotta say, man, you, it, it as a Boston guy that's seen a lot of Boston bands rise up, I listened to Rocco on the radio before you were in that band and heard him play you guys a million times. I was crowd surfing in the video that made you guys. I'm in the video. There's like it's, me. It's because of beat. him that, that Godsmack no, made it. No, I just yeah. saw it happen. I saw it all happen. I remember when Sully Erna used to come into Dan Hartwell from Logo Bazooka's yeah. office. Hey, you got some more tickets? He's like the most Boston fucking dude in the fucking world guy. And like he literally, when I saw him on stage with Metallica, I'm like, this guy fucking made it like he he's because metallica is the biggest there's iron maiden and there's metallica like what else do you want and then there's godsmack yeah. so for that dude i salute you sir yes i yes. salute you shannon larkin thank you guys i appreciate it brother thank enjoy you so the game much. bro let's do it again for real yeah you got it. for sure apocalypse Where? blues revival.com godsmack.com thanks shannon we'll talk to you later thanks man appreciate you Thank you once again for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. We have new shows every Sunday and Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. This week's throwback clip is from episode number nine with our good friend Jason Costa of All That Remains. Check it out. Benny, you have the fluffiest cat ever. Yes. (laughs) Do you have Lucille? Yeah, Lucille. Lucille is the fluffiest cat ever. Be careful, though. Don't Don't touch your bum. She might go squirrely. Usually it's not the first thing I do when I see a, a, an animal. I'm just saying it's, it's like, cool. tempting. What's the name of this cat? Can I stick my finger in its butt? Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's me. I need at least 20 more beers. <laughs>
Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.